Thank you. Uh, welcome to Redeemer Fellowship Church. It's really good to be with you all this morning. I got to lead you all in the songs that we get to sing, and I get to preach the word this morning. And we find ourselves in Hebrews chapter 3. Uh, so if you would, go ahead and open up your Bibles. If you follow along with your Bible, if you follow along with your phone, if you follow along with the screen, we're going to be in Hebrews 3, and we're going to be reading verses 6 through 19. So a big passage. Uh, last week, Denton preached chapter 3, 1 through 6, so this first part's going to be a bit of a recap. Uh, he preached 1 through 6, and we got to see the superiority of Christ, and specifically how he is superior to that of angels, and he is superior to Moses explicitly. And this isn't something new. Like It wasn't a new thing that just popped up in Hebrews chapter 3, because if you recall back to how Hebrews started, uh, Hebrews started in uh, chapter 1 with he is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature ascribing to Jesus that he was superior to all things and to all people. It's really important that, that we kind of see this and we get to know this as we walk through the book of Hebrews because we can begin to understand a little bit of the language that the Spirit chooses to use when addressing his audience here in the book of Hebrews. And so it's a good thing that we've, we've covered some of this, but the Hebrew people, if, if you can put yourself in their minds for a little bit, knowing their history for a little bit, the Hebrew people looked at, God, looked at Moses and saw Moses as a very special man used by God in redemption history in the Old Testament, what they would just call the scriptures. Moses was the man that God spoke to audibly in the burning bush. Moses was used to bring Israel out of Egypt. Moses led the people through the Red Sea. Moses gave manna when they were hungry in the wilderness. Moses gave water when they were thirsty in the wilderness. Moses brought down to the people of Israel the Ten Commandments. Moses was the one that God used in all of these amazing events. And if you read through the accounts of this in Exodus, they are amazing events. They are miraculous, amazing events. And Moses was the guy that's, that, that God chose to use. The Jewish audience, when thinking of Moses, saw Moses as a man of God. That's how they saw him. Kind of on a pedestal, in, in a way. We see the Spirit, though, once again in chapter 3, make a claim of just how much better Jesus is. How superior Jesus is in relationship right there to Moses. And he does so in a really smooth and a really sensitive and a really just gracious way. He didn't just smack him in the face with the truth. He started off in, in, at the end of verse 1 in chapter 3 by painting some similarities that Moses has with Christ. And so he says, Consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, verse 2, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. Painting this similarity between the two. But then he goes on to write in verse 5, which is what Denton was in. Now Moses was faithful in all of God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later in verse 6, right here. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. 
And as the son, Christ bears the full responsibility of the house. Christ has the full authority as the father had over the house. And not only appoints the servant of the house, but being God in the flesh, being God internal, was in fact the creator of the servants that he pointed to the house. The creator of the great servant Moses. So that's just a little bit of recap. So we're going to actually start in verse 6. I'm, I've only been given 7 through 19, but verse 6 is going to be helpful for something a little later. So verse 6 through 19, if you would read with me. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house. If indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. On the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years, therefore I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their hearts. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Verse 12, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. Leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. If you would pray with me. Father, I pray for your grace this morning. Um, I pray that today as we hear your word, that by the power of your spirit, we would not harden our hearts. That by the power of your spirit, you would make our hearts soft and moldable to what the scriptures lay out for us. That you would build up our confidence in the truth of the gospel. That you would build up our confidence in the living God, the one true God. Uh, that we would turn from sin and that we would respond in the power of the Holy Spirit in light of what your word says. Let us listen to these warnings seriously. Let us consider them. Let us ponder them. I pray this and I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we have a pretty serious section here. A pretty serious section of verses here. And it's so interesting because we, we listened to, we sang Jude doxology and we recalled the, the wonderful acts of redemption of God's people. Remember when, remember when, remember when. Remembering the original confidence that you had when you were brought through the Red Sea. So, but, but we'll get right into it. We see here in verses 7 through 11 
The Spirit is quoting from Psalm 95. That's, that's exactly what he's quoting from. The Spirit is quoting from Psalm 95. And what is so awesome about that is that we see right off the bat in verse 7 is that he attributes the writings of David to be the writings of God himself. Verse 7 starts off, Therefore the Holy Spirit says, right there, the fact is that the Spirit was working through David to record Psalm 95 to his people then. To warn the people in the days of David that if you hear his voice, verse 8, do not harden your hearts. As in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. And as we see, the same spirit is writing out this warning to the Hebrew church to warn them, do not harden your hearts. And in fact, is now communicating to us in this current age today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Today, now, is the words, that this, the, this earnestness. Today, the Spirit speaks to us and warns us, do not harden your hearts as the Israelites did in the wilderness. The time of Moses and the people of Israel in the wilderness is probably, if you read through that, it is probably one of the saddest stories you could read. Because it's a reading of people who saw God in some of the most miraculous ways. But yet willfully rejected God. And rejected God and also constantly questioned his character. During this time, Israel grumbled against Moses. They grumbled against Aaron. They grumbled against Joshua. They grumbled against God. And it's not just a couple of individuals. It's not just like, well, there's this family of Israel or this family of Israel or this specific people of Israel. Numbers 14 says, which we're going to read here in a second, it was the entire congregation, the entire group of people, and not just a couple of times, but constantly as you read through the scriptures, as you read through Exodus. Time and time again, this people voiced their preference for bondage over freedom. So as we'll see, Numbers 14, 1 through 4, that it wasn't just a small group, but the entire congregation. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. Verse 2, and all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt. Would that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land? To fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. They wanted to re-enter into bondage and into slavery instead of experience freedom in God, in the wilderness. Who was promising them a promised land, by the way? The wilderness was just a, a small bit. They, he kept promising them the, the promised land. They did not believe. They did not have faith. They constantly hardened their hearts. This people, Israel, who had seen and experienced, not, not just seen, but like experienced firsthand 
all of the miraculous works of God, the parting of the Red Sea, the passing through the Red Sea on dry ground, getting to the end of the Red Sea, turning around, seeing the Egyptians who were chasing after them to bring them back into bondage, back into slavery, and then the waters just engulf them and destroy them. Seeing that. And just, that was great at the time. But then hardening their hearts. This people, this people who complained about not having food and God gives them manna through Moses. This people complained there was no water. God gives them water through Moses. This people over and over and over again saw and experienced in a special way the goodness of God, but did not believe. They did not trust. And because of this, ultimately, did not enter the promised land. They did not see it. They died in the wilderness. Verse 10 through 11 of Hebrews 3, Therefore I was provoked with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. An entire generation. An entire generation wandered around in the desert, wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years, moaning and groaning and complaining. And Numbers 14, if you go down just a few more verses from what we said, it says Joshua rebukes the people of Israel for their ways and says the land is exceedingly good. If the Lord delights in us, which he did, if you can't tell, if you read the story, he did delight in them. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us. A land that flows with milk and honey. Honey, only do this, Israel. Do this. Do not rebel against the Lord. And do not fear the people of the land, for they are bred for us. They were literally made so that we could capture and take what is ours because God is gifting it to us. They are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them. And the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. And how do the people respond? Literally. The next verse. Then all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Joshua says, have faith. Trust in God. Trust in his goodness. Trust that he has provided for us. Trust that he will continue to provide for us. This is what he's telling them. Do not harden your hearts. Do not rebel against God. And what do they say? We should stone you. Then God intervenes. What a hard-hearted, dead group of people. The Spirit warned the people then through Moses, Aaron, and Joshua. The Spirit spoke through David, warning the people of that time. The Spirit spoke to the Hebrew church, warning the people of that time. And the Spirit speaks to us now, Warning us, do not harden your heart in rebellion. Do not be like Israel who is freed from bondage to only prefer bondage. And it, it, it really is, I know I've said this, but it is really crazy to consider that uh, in the time of Moses were some of the most amazing acts of redemption in redemption history. And these people saw it. These people lived it. Exodus is a story of redemption, but here's the thing. They had more of an excuse than what we have now because we have a fuller revelation of what redemption is. 
Now is the greater exodus, that we've been delivered from our bondage to sin and death because of Christ. The fulfillment of exodus. And we still need, obviously, we still need the warning from the Spirit, do not harden your hearts. Are you, just like Israel, will not receive the inheritance promised to all those who would hold fast to Christ? Verse 11, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. So, as I was reading this, I, I, I saw how this question could pop up in reading through this. And this is ultimately why we included verse 6. Um, so what is he saying to the Christian now? What does, what does this mean? Can a person who, like what Hebrews has said, be in the house of God, but then be cast out of the house of God? Can a person endure for a little while then, and be a Christian, but then ultimately fall away? The ultimate question is, uh, can a person who is in Christ lose their salvation? Can one receive the promise of eternal salvation and lose that salvation? Or you could even put it, can salvation be taken away based on a person's actions? You can even word it that way. Is this the case? Is this what the Spirit in Hebrews is communicating to, to us, to the church in, excuse me, in Hebrews? And in, in short, no. That is, that is not what God is saying here. That is not what he is communicating to his church. And I don't even think that we have to like look at the entire Bible here systematically to draw out the perseverance of the saints. It's because it's right here in the scriptures preceding the verses that I was asked to preach through, 7 through 19. The passage I'm teaching on is 7 through 19, but the answer to the question is right here what Denton was preaching on. Verse 6, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and right here, and we are his house. If. It's not if, whatever, fill in the blank. We, we have the words here. If indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. It's not if we do that, then we are his house. It is we are his house if. If indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. So the answer is rather simple. Uh, honestly, if you do not hold fast to our confidence and our hope, if you do not preserve until the end, then you never were. If you've seen the truths of God and His gospel, but then you reject it, then you never were. And I've, I've experienced this a few times. And it is an awful thing to see and experience individuals that you have poured into, that you have loved that you have opened the scriptures with to show them God's grace in Christ, and then ultimately, for a little bit, it, you think that you see fruit. They have a profession. They've confessed Christ only to ultimately fall away. Only for time to reveal that they have rejected the goodness of God in Jesus Christ. And we've probably heard this language before, this language of, I used to be a Christian. I'll just be blunt here, that language is ridiculous. 
because if you sit it over what the scriptures say, it, it, it is literally a false statement. When you hear someone say, I used to be a Christian, what you are hearing them say, because it is in fact synonymous to this, is I am not holding fast to Christ. I am not holding fast to the gospel. I am not trusting in the good news. I am not trusting in Jesus for my salvation. That is what they are saying. And this is rampant in our culture. I mean, just, it, it's everywhere. Honestly, to the point where it can be quite discouraging at times. And, and, but that's why we, we have to cling to the promises of God, though. That he's the one who does the work in individuals. It's not us, not how well we do, not how well we share, not how bad we share. There's some good news for you. We live in a day of easy believism, where someone does hold fast but not to the person and work of Jesus, but to an event that happened in their life. I can't tell you how many times I've heard this as well. And here's the thing. I'm not, I don't even actually question the legitimacy of their faith uh, necessarily. You can by uh, looking at their life in a sense, but uh, I know that God can use these means to save people is what I'm trying to say. But you, you hear these people say, I walked the aisle and I was baptized, so therefore... I prayed this prayer at one time, so therefore, I had this experience, that experience at Bible camp, so therefore, at youth night, so therefore. So I actually got to attend, this is pretty cool, uh, I, I got to attend a Billy Graham conference in uh, Nashville when I was eight years old at Nissan Stadium, where the Titans play, uh, and I got to see them with uh, DC Talk, uh, that was awesome. Uh, there were plenty of people who made the profession then and there and are probably now still thinking, so therefore. How sad. I mean, and for all of us in here who see the faults in those things, because we can see them, if we can see the faults in those things that I've listed and let me, let me speak a little closer to what might be the case or what we might see. I was raised in church. I was properly catechized. I was taught the gospel, and I know the ins and outs. So therefore, and I'm here to tell you that none of those things matter if you are not still holding to Christ. None of it. doesn't matter. If you are not holding, if you are not trusting, if you are not believing, it does not matter. If you are not still clinging to the truth of the gospel, If you're not still clinging to the truth of the gospel, then you never were a Christian. You never were a Christian. But, listen to, listen to this. If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. So many people, including myself and probably including you, think that you have time, 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 time. I have time, I have time, and we don't have time. None of us have the time that we think that we have. So don't hear what I'm saying and then just brush it off as if uh, you have the time later on or the time is maybe next week. You could get in your car today, leave, die, car wreck, heart attack, I don't know. You could come up here, grab the Lord's Supper, drink judgment on yourself, die right there in the pew. 
None of us know the time that we are limited to. And so I'm saying now, today, and it's not just me saying it, but it's what's emphasized in verse 13. Receive the truth of the gospel. And just to give you Hebrew, just to give you Hebrew ones, uh, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. Jesus made purification for sins once and for all and is now at the right hand of the majesty on high. Cling to that truth. Cling to it. Cling to the crucified. We sang that this morning. Cling to the lamb who died. And cling to it for dear life because life eternal is in fact, that's, that's what's at stake if you're not trusting in the gospel. Cling to the gospel and if you reject it, then eternal damnation and judgment is what is in store for you. A life without the promised inheritance to all of those who would reject Jesus. And it's a life, death, eternal. The Spirit continues with a warning. Verse 12, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Temptation will come. If you, are, if you are a Christian in this room, temptation will come. Trials will come. Persecution will come. And the call is to cling. The call is to stay. The call is to trust and believe. The call is to have faith. And the call is today, as I've already said. Today. If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Not tomorrow, not next week, not next, not next month, not when you get this and that lined out or until this sin is taken care of. That's the craziest thing, by the way, to think. I, I have to take care of this thing that I know that I'm super jacked up in, and then I'll come to the cross. That is not the gospel. The gospel is come to the cross. I will then give you the spirit that actually empowers you to defeat that sin. That's the truth. The Spirit here, in writing to the Hebrews, knew that the Hebrews would be tempted, and the temptation was to return to the Old Covenant. That's what the temptation was. The temptation was to return to the Old Covenant, and the Spirit exhorts them, do not be led away by an unbelieving heart from the living God. The Spirit was saying, if you are led away, then you are turning away from the living God. If you go back to the old covenant, if you go back to Judaism and you're trusting in the old covenant, you are turning away from the living God. You are turning away from salvation. And here's the thing, like think for a second. When we, like when we were in Nepal, for instance, we met a few people who, they became Christians, lost job. Couldn't live with family anymore. Family kicked him out. That was just like a normal thing, kind of, if you became a Christian over there. So think here with, with these Hebrews and the society that they lived in. Imagine the family, imagine the friends, imagine the social status that some of the Hebrew people lost or were threatened to lose if they were to turn to Christ and trust in Christ. The temptation was very real but the spirit warns him do not turn away from the living god 
do not turn away from the message of the gospel. So whenever I first became a Christian, by the way, if you haven't heard me preach a lot, I like to use personal testimony stuff um, because I just, I don't know. I'm thankful for what God has done in my life, and I can see it over the scriptures. And so uh, that's what I like to share, and I hope that it's encouraging. Uh, when I first became a Christian, uh, this was an immediate fact for me, immediate. Uh, the first time I mentioned Jesus to my friend groups, uh, I lost every single one of them. Every single one of them. No friends. And here's the thing. I didn't want to. I didn't want to lose my friends. I was not invited anymore. I was not welcome anymore. The relationship that I had with my father was fractured even more. Those are just like some of the realities that happen whenever you become a Christian and you trust in the gospel and it so affects your life and affects the way that you live that people around you don't want anything to do with you. For some in here, this is the temptation. For some in here, it's friendships, family, boyfriend, girlfriend, fiance, whatever it may be. The living God is far greater. Jesus is far greater. And the call here is do not harden your hearts. For others, it could be a sin. You cling to a sin. I would say that the other one, there's probably sin rooted in that too. But um, it could be a specific sin. And you're clinging to this sin. You know the thing that you're doing is wrong. But you don't want to give it up. You hang on to it. You keep it hidden. You think you can keep it tamed. And in so doing, you are hardening your hearts. Do not do that. Here, really quick. You, like every single other individual in here, is a super jacked up individual. Plain and simple. Like it's not a surprise. You come and you bring that sin to the church. You come and bring that sin to brothers and sisters in Christ. We're not going to be like, whoa, that is messed up. No, we're going to say that Christ came to die for a sinner just like you. And we're going to give you the gospel of Jesus. Do not cling to that sin. Trust that Christ has covered your sin. And if you do, once again, he has equipped you with the power of the spirit to have victory over that sin. One more thing for my life, and I will. Well, actually, I got two more. Sorry. I became a Christian in October of 2013. My wife, uh, who was my girlfriend at the time, uh, became a Christian shortly after me. Uh, we lived together outside of marriage for roughly four, four and a half years. Um, here, here's the thing none of this is easy. And anyone who tries to say that this is easy, just punch them in the face. Don't do that. <laughs> but seriously, they are lying through their teeth. This is not easy. I had no idea what to do. I, had, I literally was just like almost a zombie. For six months, as, as before I became a Christian, for about six months, I was like, I'll call it torment. I was tormented by the Spirit. I was tormented by the Spirit, but the God, the God was working in me. And I, I had this 45-minute drive to Toyota from where I lived. 
and then I would work online, and if you work at Toyota, if you know anything about it, you work online and you pretty well are to yourself. You have one van come through, and 90 seconds later you have another van come through. You're to yourself. You're to your thoughts. So for six months, as God was working with me, I would drive my 45-minute drive to Toyota. I would spend eight to ten hours there in the same state. I would drive my 45-minute home from Toyota in a shell shock. Everything in my life seemed to be wrong. Everything. As God slowly but surely was revealing himself to me and revealing the sin in my life to me, I was like, this is literally everything. Like, I, I, do not, I do not know how to move forward on this. I was, a, I was a pathological liar. I was a thief. And, like, I literally could just keep going on and tell you the person I was. I was wicked. And I knew that if, if I placed my hope in Christ, um, had some very serious implications on how I should handle myself. It didn't help that at the time, too, I was listening to a lot of Mark Driscoll, and so he was just yelling at me for 45 minutes on the way to work, and then yelling at me for 45 minutes on the way home. So I was just like, I was a freaking train wreck. (laughs) Uh, But my wife now, girlfriend at the time, became a Christian in October. Here's the thing, we had a lease together, we had bills together, um, it didn't really seem just as easy as this, this, and that. We didn't make the money to go live here and go live here. Like, it, it just wasn't simple. And after becoming a Christian, I tried my best to submit myself to the authority of the Scripture and walk in obedience. So it wasn't overnight, but I was engaged in November, and I was married in December. Because I saw the importance of walking in obedience to the Scriptures. And I don't say that to boast in myself. I, I would not have done that if the Spirit was not working in me. I've been married since. We will celebrate nine years of marriage this December. And every anniversary is not only a celebration of the covenant of marriage that we entered into together, but it is also a reminder and a celebration of the Lord's faithfulness to us in our imperfections and in our sinfulness. For some of you, The command of do not harden your hearts looks very similar to this. Do not harden your hearts. Trust and walk. So like I said, I told you I only had one more. I actually had two more. Uh, Here's one more thing. There were at least three times that I can recall. I'll be quick through this one. There were at least three times that I could recall from whenever I was a boy to whenever I was a teenager in high school um, where I believed that I had been saved. Two of them uh, were events at Bible camps that I went to over the summer, and the tears were, were real. The emotions were real. I thought the salvation was real. It was not real. I would leave the camps only to go home and fight against sin for a couple days, only to return to that sin that I loved and forsake the truth. And sure, like we could talk about tactics at these camps. We can talk about uh, what message was being communicated at these camps, and we can have immediate concerns, but do not get distracted by that because the point is that I preferred sin over Jesus. I preferred bondage over freedom in Christ. I did not hold fast 
to Christ. But for whatever reason, the Lord saw it to be fitting and saw it to be good that he would be gracious to me and give me several more opportunities after rejecting and rejecting and rejecting. Several more opportunities to hear and trust in his gospel. And now I hold tightly and I cling to the gospel of Jesus. And thank God for that. And that might be your story. And thank God for that. But my point is, is that not everyone will have that. Not everyone gets that. Today, if you find yourself with conviction of sin and with a readiness to trust in Christ, do not cling to that sin, but run to the cross and cling to the cross. And hold to it until the day you die and then enter in with full joy into the promised inheritance that's been purchased for you in Christ. And here's the thing. If you're already clinging, the message is the exact same. It doesn't change. Cling to the cross, knowing that you've been justified by faith alone. Knowing that God will complete the work of sanctification in you and knowing and having confidence in that you will be glorified. So, how can we be confident that we will actually do this, though, if we trust in Christ? How, how can we have confidence that that's what's going to happen? 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, 4 through 5. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. That's how we can have confidence. Not just in word, but the power of spirit in you. How can we have confidence? We can have confidence because the power of spirit in us. Uh, but I will continue to say, as the spirit has said through the generation of God's people, do not harden your hearts. So I've said that like over and over and over again. Do not harden your hearts. Do not harden your hearts. Well, how do we do that? For like you list makers out there, like, okay, I get it, but I need something. I need something that I can go home and do. And here's the thing. If you leave here with that, don't. Just don't. I'm not giving you a list of go home, do this. Don't do that. But I do think that the Spirit lays out what this looks like for us as a body, what that looks like for us uh, as Redeemer Fellowship. So, the, so in the wisdom of God, the Holy Spirit puts it here for us in verse 13. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Brothers and sisters, encourage one another to cling to Jesus. We must be reminding each other of this every single day. We must be doing this daily, reminding the goodness of God, the graciousness of God, the mercies of God, the promises of God, all of those things, reminding each other of them daily. Someone's feeling burnt out, left out, disconnected, whatever that might be, Remind them of his grace. 
And if you're doing something wrong, fix it so that they can not be left out, not be discouraged. Exhort one another every day as long as it is called today, which guess what? Is every day. It's interesting, that language there. But uh, So men, women, we have to strive to do better at this. We need to try to do better at this. We need to care more deeply for each other and remind each other of the grace that God has shown us in Christ. And I'll give you, like a, I'll give you one practical thing of how the, what this might look like. Someone not here on Sunday? Which, guess what? There's not. This is your opportunity. Put it into play. Y'all just bombard these people. Like, set up like a time frame. Like, 10 minute, 10 minute. Someone not here? Call them. You can text them, but let's be honest. Are you texting because that's the easiest way out? Or could you call and be really intentional with your voice, with your words, with your care, with your tone, listening to them? You could call them. Let them know that you missed fellowship with them. Give them the good news of the gospel. Listen to them. Care for them. Someone not at a men's event or women's event, reach out to them. Even if you know why they're gone, don't call and be like, hey, we saw that you were gone. No, you know why they're gone. Call and encourage them, though. We missed you. This is what we learned. It was so encouraging, and we missed you. Exhort them with the truth of the gospel. And encourage them in some specific ways. You're like, well, what does that look like? So just an example, uh, not to put him on the spot, but he's a champ. Uh, just like an example. David's here this Sunday, though, so don't be confused. But if Brother David uh, isn't at a Sunday service, maybe you call him, maybe you reach out to him, and you say, Brother David, I missed you so much because I'm always encouraged by the words of encouragement that you give to me and to the congregation and to the people. We missed fellowship with you so much. I'm, I'm encouraged of your love for God's word. I'm encouraged that uh, you strive to make God a priority in all things in life. And I'm encouraged because I know that all those things are working in you because God has saved you. That took 20 seconds. And I don't think I'm going to get off the phone with him and he's going to be like, that jerk. That'd be ridiculous. I think he would be encouraged by that. And I think several of y'all would be encouraged by things like that. If y'all received that phone call, if y'all received that text message, that care, that love, that intentionality. And we have, I have failed at this. I know I have. I reached out to Rhonda, who has recently left. Uh, just this past week, she moved back home. I got to uh, encourage her, tell her that we miss her, that we, we just love how God has worked in her and how he has saved her and continues to work in her. I was able to encourage her that God has you in a place at a specific time for a specific reason, for your good and his glory. I was able to give her the gospel. But then you can also just ask questions. Hey, have you found a local church to covenant with in membership? We know you're not here, but commit yourself somewhere. How is ministry in your home and in your workplace? You can just ask these things. Intentional, caring, exhorting them with the gospel. We got loads of new babies in this church. Love it. Love, love the babies. Texting and calling, hey, how are you adjusting, brother? How are you adjusting, sister? Because I know you're not getting any sleep. 
What sins are you being tempted with? Because once again, I know you're not getting any sleep. I know you're more irritable probably. I know that you probably are not very patient right now. Reaching out to them though and actually asking these questions. So, I mean, that shows that you care. How can I pray for you and your family? How can I serve you and your family? Which, let me just say something to the entire congregation really quick. I sometimes feel like whenever we're like, hey, is there anything I can help you with? No, we're good. Stop that. There is definitely a way that we can help you, and we want to help you. We want to do that. We're not just like throwing it out there and like, gosh, I really hope they say no. Like, that's not what we're doing. Like, we want to care for y'all. We've been called to care for y'all. We want to do this. And so, even if you're like, yeah, I don't know what yet, but I'll call you back and figure it out. Go talk to your wife. Go talk to your husband. Figure it out. Give us some work to do. What I'm ultimately trying to say here is to care for each other, love each other, and ultimately and most importantly, exhort one another. Give your brothers and sisters the gospel of Jesus. And what does verse 13 says? Exhort one another every day as long as it is called today, right here, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Your words of truth, care, and love could very well be used by God to soften the hearts of your brothers and sisters in Christ. So there's that answer that we were asking the question, uh, how do we not harden our hearts? Right here. That none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. It's almost like our sanctification is this with each other. We are one body, united underneath the head, who is Christ. So exhort one another. Verse 14. For we share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. So what is it that we share in Christ? Uh, and the short answer is everything that has been promised to us in Christ. All of the promises of God is what we share in Christ. Justification, sanctification, glorification, assurance, those are just a list, a few. But we only share in those things if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. And original confidence here is referring to the time that you... time when you first confessed faith in Christ. That's what it's referring to. When you first confessed faith, there was a confidence with it. But then life happens. Tests come. Trials come. Temptation comes. Failure comes. All of those things come. But we can be clouded with doubt, with worry, we can be confused. We can begin to question our original confession and its legitimacy. Perhaps that question in your head is, well, would a Christian really do that? Which, by the way, don't harden your heart there. I think that you're being convicted by the power of the Spirit. Confess that sin. Repent of that sin. 
hold fast, though, to the original confidence, original confession until the end. If you do not persevere in the faith, then you have no inheritance and you do not share with others in Christ. By the grace of God, persevere until the end. Verse 15, to drive this point home. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Be careful because if you do harden your heart and if you do not hold, then the profession you made was a false profession. Once again, you never were. If you were not holding to that, not holding to the gospel. So we're going we're gonna to beeline here to the end. I, I don't know exactly how long I've been, but... Uh, verse 16 through 17 speaks of the people who of Israel who broke the covenant that God made with them, who broke this covenant, the people who heard and yet rebelled, the people who sinned against God and provoked God for 40 years and their bodies fell in the wilderness, never receiving the promised land. We will have people who make a profession, people who appear to be but are ultimately far off. We will have people that will ultimately die in the wilderness. But we will also have people who will hold fast to the promises of God and receive eternal blessing of God's work for them and in them. And that just doesn't even have to be... You don't have to die in the wilderness. Receive the message of the gospel that Christ has taken your sin for you, that it was placed on him, that he took the full wrath of God, that he died in your place. And because of that, he, he was buried. He was raised from the dead, securing that which he purchased on the cross, that you are now clothed in his righteousness, not based off of your works. It's not about how well you do. Do not leave here with that list I was telling you about. Don't do that. Leave here trusting and clinging to the promises of God in Christ. That we are justified because of Him. That we will be working, that the sanctification will be worked in us by the power of the Spirit because of Him. Leave here with that. Today, now, do not harden your hearts. Verse 18 through 19, we see that disobedience and unbelief are practically interchangeable because each feeds into each other. Verse 19 finishes chapter 3 with the statement that they were unable to enter the land because of unbelief. That's what it's about. Because of unbelief. God, let us not be like Israel. Like that's, that's, I do not want that. I don't want that for me. I do not want that for you. Let us not harden our hearts, but cling to the confidence that we have and can have and is freely offered in Jesus. You would pray with me.